0: We are in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 20 through verse 22, verse 20 through verse 22. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Let's pray. Father, speak to us through this portion of Scripture. Give us insight into your mind, your ways. And indeed they would be our ways. That we would have your mindset pray this in Christ's name. Amen. (laughs) Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware or clay. A large house with gold and silver eating and drinking utensils would likely belong to someone who is rich. When I was growing up uh, in the fifth grade, I met a fellow... Tom Kaczynski, he lived probably a mile from where I lived, and he lived in a large house. Uh, They had five acres of property. They had a pool, in-ground pool. Uh, He had uh, a a man who took care of the yard and a lady who was inside, a maid who would take care of the family. So when I would go over there, she would make us peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and uh, We were well cared for. Their house was large because Dad was rich. One day, uh, Tom and I decided we should have a go-kart, and he mentioned that to his father, and within about two days, we had a go-kart. That's how much money they had. The second story of that house it uh, had a walk-out basement, so the basement was like a first story in a way. But the second story of that house was a huge room with beautiful furniture in it, and they used it for parties. And uh, when we could get away with it, we would go up there and jump on the furniture. And uh, until his mother, who was the sweetest lady you could ever meet, as I recall, she would come up and she would say, Now, boys, you know you're not supposed to do that. And we would have to go back outside or down to the basement. My point is, a large house has things like gold and silver eating utensils. And yet, it also has common utensils. Utensils used for preparing food or for feeding folks, such as maybe street people or the farm workers who would just be coming in from the barn or the field, or family pets. And these common utensils would be the ones that are referred to as wood or earthenware or clay. So in applying this picture to us, the four kinds of vessels refer to God's people who make up the body of Christ, be it the universal church or individual groups like us. To apply it more specifically, we know that within the body of Christ, whether universal or a small group of believers, some are better at understanding and applying the scriptures than others. Some are better educated. Some are better speakers or leaders or teachers or evangelists or musicians or worship leaders. Some are better at child care, nursing home visits, comforting the sick, visiting prisoners, and encouraging the discouraged. And some have natural talents that are useful to the church in one way or another. However, the important issue in these first two verses is not what kind of vessel you are, such as being gold or wood or silver or clay. Neither is the important issue who is better at something though that's somewhat significant. The important issue is, are you clean? Are you a clean vessel that God can use to accomplish his purposes in the church and in the world? And if you're not a clean vessel, then it must be because you are dirty and still in need of cleansing. And if you're still in need of cleansing, then you are the kind of vessel God does not choose to use any more than you would choose to use a vessel to prepare food or to serve food to your family and invited guests. I realize we probably all know at least somebody who would use a dirty vessel, but most of us wouldn't. So I think you get the picture. So once again the important issue is are you a clean vessel? For these are the vessels for honor that God chooses to use whether gold, silver, wood or clay. The next part of verse 20 says and some do honor and some to dishonor and this part creates some difficulty because we're not completely certain what paul is referring to there's some debate amongst believers for example is the contrast between vessels to honor and vessels to dishonor a reference to god using the gold and silver vessels for leadership type positions and service in the church and then the wood and clay vessels for the less say spiritually demanding or and therefore more ordinary positions and service in the church Is that the difference? Or are the vessels to honor the clean ones and the vessels to dishonor the dirty ones? And again, there is some debate amongst believers about that. It is my opinion that the second understanding is the better one. That the honorable vessels are the clean ones, the dishonorable ones are the dirty ones. And for me, that is supported by the message of verse 21. So the issue, again, is not are you gold, silver, wood, or clay, but are you clean? Given the reality of our humanity, you may not be perfectly clean, but are you at least making a sincere effort to cleanse yourself so that you are becoming a usable vessel for God to accomplish his purposes. In considering the difference between vessels to honor and vessels to dishonor, I included the use of Webster's Dictionary, and I'm mentioning that just to encourage you not to neglect using the dictionary when you're looking into God's word. And so in bringing together the wording of verses 20 through 22 and connecting that with the dictionary definitions that I looked up and then considering the larger context as well, I believe we can describe a vessel for honor as a Christian who rightly deserves respect and esteem for the life he or she is living as a Christian which includes the kind of discussions he engages in, because that's part of the context. Now, to deserve esteem or respect means that we are living at least up to or working at or making serious progress at living up to being holy as God is holy. One of the things that I had to think through with this whole issue of being perfect or imperfect. Uh, I was helped with that issue by examining my own thinking in terms of our children. And I was helped with that in regard to a particular scripture, to whom much is given, much is required infers that to whom little is given, little is required. And when I observe Christians, when I observe our own children, I realize that people are different. Some of us are more capable than others, and that's neither good nor bad, it's just the reality of it. But if we have the same expectations for everybody, that's unrealistic, that's in a way insane, if I can say that. Could I be happy if one of our boys could only do D-level work at school while the other could maybe do A-work? If D-work was all that could be done, then that's the best that person can do. And yes, I should be happy with that. And when I think of God and the scriptures and the way God has dealt with people in the stories of the scriptures and how he has dealt with people today, To me, that is how God deals with us, according to what we are able to do. Uh, I would also like to add that too many of us don't come close to what we're able. We don't put in that kind of an effort when it comes to godliness. We may put that kind of an effort into sports or making money or other types of things, being fashionable, looking good, exercising. So I understand that, and let's take that into account as well, but a vessel for honor is a Christian who rightfully deserves, based on what they're capable of doing, respect and esteem for the life he or she is living as a Christian. In contrast, a vessel for dishonor is a Christian who is not making a sincere effort to put away known selfishness and sin so that either intentionally or carelessly, He continues bringing some measure of shame on himself, on the reputation of Christians in general, and on God as a result of some of the ways he talks and some of the things he does. And here again, intentionally or carelessly, there is a difference between first-degree murder and manslaughter, or even first-degree murder and second-degree murder. First degree murder is intentional. It's planned out. You make your plans. You get the tools that you need to have to do the job, whether a gun or a knife or a rope or whatever you have to have, and you go and fulfill your intentions. That's first degree murder. That's intentional. Careless is when you aren't expecting or intending to murder somebody, but through a course of events, you do. Now, the problem with the second example is that too many of us murder the same person day after day. And uh, that too is something we should remember or take into consideration. It may not be intentional, but we're not intentionally stopping what we're doing once we realize what we're doing. So let's keep that in mind as well. I believe the scriptures make it clear that God calls us to... First of all, either be a vessel for honor or to at least intentionally and purposely be heading in the direction of becoming a vessel for honor. And For example, let me just give you two scriptures. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, Paul writes, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. Notice that word implore. He's not just saying, I'm asking you or I'm suggesting. I think it's a great idea. No, he's imploring us. This is how important it is. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. What worth is the calling with which we have been called? It was paid for by a perfect son of God who shed his blood, whose body was broken. What is that worth? And the call is, in fact, the we're implored to walk in a manner of equal value. Our lives should be of the same value as the calling with which we have been called. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In other words, in a manner that upholds the Lord's honor as it ought to be upheld, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Alright, so you may be wondering, how do we become the kind of clean, worthy vessels that God uses? We cleanse ourselves from that which defiles us and put godliness in its place. It's really a rather simple answer, even though it's not so simple to work out. And so verse 21 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, that is, the things that make us dirty vessels, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. According to this verse, God places the responsibility for getting clean on us. And we are just the average, everyday, ordinary Christian. This isn't just for super-Christians. This is for us. Average, everyday, ordinary Christians. And in verse 22, God places the responsibility to flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, and love and peace on us. That is, again, on us who are the average, everyday, ordinary Christian. Well, why does he do that? Because we can do it. We can cleanse ourselves. In other words, to become and remain a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work, we, you, me, we must cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God, to quote 2 Corinthians 7.1. Or as James 4.8 says, and I'm going to just pick out certain parts of the verse, we must cleanse our hands from sin and purify our hearts from double-mindedness. You can't hold on to sin without having it soil you. You can't be double-minded and head in a single direction. Jesus put it this way when it came to riches. No one can serve God and riches, because your heart will be torn. You'll either love one and hate the other, or you will be drawn towards one and pushed away or despise the other. It just can't be done. My point is the responsibility for getting clean is our responsibility. Now, bearing this responsibility does not mean that God is absent or uninvolved. He does not watch from a distance while we try to do this on our own. The reality is, God is powerfully involved. He dwells within us, He has given us the Holy Spirit. We have the Scriptures, which is the living and active Word of God. He guards us against being tempted beyond what our current ability is to resist. And he keeps his ears attuned to our prayers for help and our prayers for strength and wisdom and for whatever else we truly need. I add the word truly because we may be asking for things that are our responsibility that God has placed on us. That's not a wise prayer. But he will listen to the things when we pray for what we truly need to fulfill the responsibility that he has placed on us. And yet, I want to point out that Paul makes no mention in these three verses of God's involvement. Why? I'd like to say because Martin Luther hadn't been born yet. Or... Maybe he hadn't encountered how weak we are in our own humanity and how much we need to be reminded. I believe Paul makes no mention of God's involvement because we Christians are to believe God is involved. And we are to believe that his involvement is more than sufficient for us to fulfill our responsibility regardless of how hard it is or how long it takes. Do you know how often we say to each other, why, that's really hard. It takes a long time. Do we say that because we are encouraging ourselves to press on or because we are kind of just wanting to have some justification for not pressing on as we ought? In saying, regardless of how long it is or how long it takes, I am acknowledging that growth in godliness, at least the kind of growth God is looking for, takes great effort and time. You see, God is not looking for just an outward change. He wants that outward change, yes, without any question, but he wants a change of our mind and our heart as well. That means a change of our beliefs and our values, not just managing our beliefs and values so that the ones don't come out. But actually having them change so they aren't the bad ones aren't there anymore. One of the things I observed in my folks getting into their 90s and losing mental strength was that they no longer had the mental strength to manage themselves without letting out behaviors that they would have been ashamed of in previous. Years when they had that strength to manage themselves. We can discipline ourselves. That is an ability God built into us. But he wants us to change, to be transformed, to become new creatures in Christ Jesus. Yes, it is hard and it does take long. And I, I want to read a quote from John Climacus about the length of time. This puts it really well, in my opinion. And here's the quote. John Climacus was a believer. He was uh, an abbot of a monastery. He was well-respected in his time, and he was asked to put into writing what he had used to grow in the faith. And so you have the ladder of divine ascent by John Climacus and this is uh, this appears near the end of that work as one who has suffered a prolonged illness can scarcely obtain health in an instant so it is impossible suddenly to overcome the passions or even one passion and in that era of time the passions would refer to our sinful desires Yes, that's one who has suffered a prolonged illness, can scarcely obtain health in an instant. It takes time to work through the health process. So it is impossible suddenly to overcome the passions or even one passion. Remember the story of David and Goliath. King Saul and the rest of the army assumed that they would lose a one-on-one battle with Goliath. Yet David shows up, and he assumed he would win. Not because he believed he had superior fighting skills or better weapons, but because he believed God was with him. David was convinced that God would empower him to win a one-on-one battle with Goliath. We read this in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 45 through 47. And again, I'm going to leave out some parts, just important parts to make my point. David said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. Yeah. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. This day... The Lord will deliver you, with your sword, your spear, and your javelin, the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. And he added, I'm going to cut your head off. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. Like David's confident assumption in facing Goliath, This should be our confident assumption when putting off our selfish and sinful nature and putting on godliness. In other words, we should get up in the morning confidently assuming that in that day that we are awake, God is with us, God is empowering us, and God is working with us and therefore enabling us to cleanse ourselves from all defilement and of flesh and spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God. And no one who has this confident faith in God's involvement needs a reminder. See, Paul didn't have to remind them. He expected them, Timothy and those Timothy was going to teach, to just assume that God was involved. And I am urging you, let us get up in the morning, confidently assuming that God is involved in the process. We are not alone. Yes, it may feel like you're alone, it may seem hard, it may take longer than you'd like, but God is involved. It is my experience that very few Christians rise each morning with this belief firmly fixed in their mind. I find that most of us are like King Saul and his army. We know what has to be done in regard to sin and righteousness. We approach the task as if we have to do it all on our own, and many of us reinforce this belief by saying it feels like we are doing it all on our own. And when we size up the enemy, which is our flesh, the world and the devil, and when we look at the task at hand, which is cleansing ourselves so as to become a vessel for honor, we conclude that the task is too hard and the enemy is too strong for us to be successful. And so, like Saul and his army, we stand back rather than make the kind of effort that is required to cleanse ourselves in order to become... A vessel for honor. This kind of thinking is self-defeating. Saul and his army heard Goliath's challenge day after day and they only looked on. David heard it once and he went out and fought Goliath. Not because he was bigger, stronger, better equipped but because he was confident God would give him the victory. And so, let us be like David, who believed that God was involved without having to be told or reminded. Let us get up every morning convinced that God is active and he is involved sufficiently to give us the victory over our flesh, over our entrenched sinful habits, which are very difficult to break, I agree, over the ungodly influences of the world, which are pressing in on us all the time, and over the scheming trickery and temptations of the devil. If we do this, we will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work in other words if you cleanse yourself from the things that make you unfit for god's use such as youthful loss worry and anxiety ungodly anger resentment bitterness unforgiveness lying worthless discussions and the list could go on if we will cleanse ourselves from those things we will become a vessel for honor a vessel that's sanctified, a vessel that's useful, a vessel that's prepared. So let me just work through those four descriptive words. To become a vessel for honor, and you've already heard this, let me just say it again, we must cleanse ourselves from the things that prevent us from being a Christian who rightly deserves respect and esteem because we are living like a Christian ought. Once again, let us not be concerned about what we don't know. Let us take seriously living up to what we do know. I would guess that all of us adults in this room could think of at least one thing that we are not taking seriously, that we ought to take seriously, and so we're letting that one thing slide in our life. And I say just one thing because that's a place to start. if we will take seriously cleansing ourselves from what we know should not be there, then we will become the kind of Christian that God will choose to use in accomplishing his purposes both in the church and in the world. A sanctified vessel, that's the second thing, We vessel for honor that's sanctified. A sanctified vessel is one that is set apart and therefore easily identifiable as a Clean vessel picture it this way God, this is the way I picture it so it's best I have God comes into his kitchen looking for a pitcher to serve water to his family and guests so he doesn't rummage around on the counter near the sink or in the sink itself looking for a mostly clean pitcher, one that's clean enough from among the dirty ones he goes to the cupboard and where he has set apart, set apart, sanctified the clean pitchers from the dirty ones and selects the one he wants. He's got a number to pick from. But it's the clean are easily identified because they're separated from the dirty ones. The clean ones are in the cupboard, the dirty ones are still in the sink or on the counter next to the sink. In the same way, if we are sanctified as a clean vessel, then we will be set apart from the dirty ones and easily identifiable for the Master's use. I think, and we've talked about this several times, working through First uh, and Second Thessalonians and 1 Timothy, one of the weaknesses in the church, in my opinion, is that we too easily put people in leadership who are talented or skilled or capable without also making sure they are godly. that They're a clean vessel. And that's one of the reasons that we get vessels who appear to be really successful and maybe even great preachers and teachers and leaders, and yet they fall. They didn't fall because just at that moment I had a weak moment. I fell because that's what is in them. What is in me? What is in you? Will we cleanse ourselves? The third thing is to be a useful vessel. A useful vessel is one that is able to fulfill the purpose for which it is selected. And the idea of being useful to God goes beyond the limitations of whatever talent or spiritual gift you may have. God is not confined by your natural or spiritually given abilities. Now, he may work strategically or specifically with those, but he's not confined to those. Just read history of the church. And so to be a useful Christian is to be in such a condition, spiritually speaking, that God is able to use you for whatever he deems needful, even if you're not gifted or talented in that area. Being useful in this way is possible for two, at least two reasons. First, it is God who is using you. He's the almighty one, the all-wise one. It is God who is using you and he is able to do with you and accomplish through you whatever he wills. But the second reason this is possible is that you cannot cleanse yourself from what defiles you without at the same time without through that very process of self-cleansing, you cannot cleanse yourself from what defiles you without learning a lot, and I mean a lot about the scriptures themselves, about godliness, about love, about compassion, kindness, gentleness, and patience, just to mention a few things that are necessary when we are being used by God. You will learn about those things, which in turn makes you useful for a variety of tasks, which God may want to use you. And this brings us to the last statement, being a vessel prepared for every good work. To be prepared is to be fit or suitable for every good work that God asks or directs you to do. Fit or suitable. The important truth here is that cleansing ourselves from what defiles us and therefore keeps us in the state of being a vessel for dishonor, getting rid of those things has the effect of making us useful and suitable for whatever it is God wants to use us to do. Do you know how much wisdom you will gain from growing in godliness and putting sin out of your life? An immense amount. Do you know how much understanding of the ways of God and God himself you will gain by cleansing yourself? It's an immense amount. These are the qualities that the church needs in its leadership. These are things that the church needs for teaching them and leading them towards God. Yes, a Bible college education is important. I totally agree. Seminary, it's good and useful. I do think that anybody who becomes a pastor should be required to read uh, St. Gregory's, the Great's work, Pastoral Care. I don't think it's required anymore, but that too would be very helpful. But in spite of those things, what makes them truly useful is to be prepared for every good work by getting rid of the things that make you a vessel for dishonor when I read things, when I hear people talk, I can tell the difference between somebody who is saying the words and somebody who's lived the life. You cannot take somebody where you have not gone. You cannot talk about what it's like to get there until you've gone there yourself. You can say the words, but you can't show the way. You can't travel along with because you haven't gone there yourself. And the church needs people who can take them there, not just say the words. So cleansing yourself from whatever makes you a vessel for dishonor, it sanctifies you, it sets you apart, right? It makes you useful, but it also prepares you for every good work. It's quite a significant process that has quite a significant effect on our lives. Once again, the important issue is not what kind of vessel you are, but are you a clean vessel? And though God is powerfully involved, He has placed the responsibility for becoming a clean vessel on you and on me. And if we do not cleanse ourselves, we will not and cannot be a vessel for honor.